With Father's Day right around the corner, what do you give to the man who has everything? Easy. You give him an experience he'll never forget. You give him Omaha Steaks because a world-class dad deserves a world-class steak. The Father's Day experts at Omaha Steaks have made it easy to put a smile on the big guy's face this summer with hand-selected gift packages starting at just $89. Just go to omahasteaks.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout for an additional discount when you shop gourmet gift packages for Father's Day. With Omaha Steaks, the possibilities are endless. Endless flavor, endless variety, and endless value. Truly, they have perfected more than just steak. Your dad is guaranteed to love every bite. Go to omahasteaks.com, use the promo code BLUEWIRE to get an exclusive savings. Shop for unforgettable gifts that are guaranteed to make dad's day. Because if there's one thing that Omaha Steaks knows, it's the dads want steak. That's omahasteaks.com, promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to save on exclusive packages starting at just $89. Hey there, welcome to Nick Pollock and Friends, where I talk to people I know and who you should know. Today's guest is someone I met at, uh, well, about two, three years ago, I think. Uh, we talked for about hours after I lost <laughs> my voice, um, just going back and forth about pitching. And the man is Kimball Crossley of the San Diego Padres, a scout in their system. Kimball, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. I'm I'm uh, glad to be here. Oh man, so uh, I don't even know where to start, but I feel like the best question to ask people is, how on earth did you become a scout? Well, it is a little bit of a long story um, because I uh, was not a baseball player growing up in New York City. I grew up in Manhattan and really barely played the game. Um, uh, the short version is, I was a writer first. And so I was covering minor league baseball for, um, I was covering the Pawtucket Red Sox for a small paper in Massachusetts. And luckily it was an afternoon paper. So unlike the other guys, I was not writing on deadline. Oh yeah. And, and so I didn't have to sit up in the press box hoping that the game didn't end past my deadline and writing up game stories that I had to send five minutes later. I could just, I, I, uh, early realized I could go sit down behind home plate and watch the game. Mm-hmm. And take notes and keep score. And I had, I was in no rush to, to write up something. And also because we were an afternoon paper, I wasn't writing more of a, uh, as much of a game story as more of a nuanced story. And I had always loved baseball, um, and been fascinated by it on so many levels. And it became my laboratory. And I spent the next 10 years just finding out more and more about the game because I had such great access to, um, players, coaches, managers, scouts you know, other writers. It, and so it just sort of turned out that way. And, and scouts used to come up to me all the time because I was sitting near them and we'd sit near each other and sometimes next to each other. And they started realizing that I, I, I kind of knew a little bit about this and they really were asking me mostly makeup questions because one thing people might not realize about a scout is we don't get to go down the clubhouse like writers do. We don't get to go and sure, just ask yeah. any question we want. Now, if we run into a guy or if we're friends with them. But other than that, there's no formal way to get your questions answered. And so they knew that I had a feel for who the players were and, and not just, you know, on their makeup. So they're playing makeup, not just their, you know, if they're a good guy, a nice guy or whatever. And they used to ask me lots of questions and I would answer them. And over the years they said, you know, you really have a good feel for this game. You know, you should try and work in it. And I was like, well, I'd rather work in it than write about it. 
And then there was this process of, you know, three, four years where I was trying to get involved in the game. And just like a lot of people, you know, I, I had some contacts, I had some breaks, I had some things not go my way, but it eventually led to me getting into scouting. And is that like getting into scouting though, is that um, when you're saying three, four years of that, are you pursuing it? <laughs> How exactly? Do you go through some courses? Do you just uh, well, talk to er- people, see there's an opening somewhere? Kind of every way possible. I mean, I explored every opportunity and, you know, my advice to people trying to get into scouting is kind of do what I did in terms of get around the game. Now you don't have to be a writer, but get yourself around the game, go work in a minor league stadium, even if it's not in the front office, even if it's concessions, even if it's grounds crew sure. and get around baseball people and, and talk and make real contacts and, and learn and show what you know at the same time. And so that's kind of what I did. But eventually, yeah, I had to like try and formally get uh, a job. And there were years where I was writing letters, you know, every off season to every person in the game. Some I knew, some I didn't know, some cold, some not, obviously, and tr- sort of pitching myself. And at the time, I um, I really didn't think I'd be a scout. I thought I'd be more of an analytics guy because I had a strong math background from growing up. Mm. I was fascinated by the statistical side of the game. And in fact, a lot of what I wrote about was early on was trying to um, marry the the two worlds because back when I was doing this 30 years ago, um, you know, a lot of statistics and analytics were not accepted in baseball. And so I would right, go up yeah. to GMs and scouts and say, like, how come you don't look at on base percentage? And why don't you look at some of these markers? I mean, early stuff that was way, yeah, right, you know, right. way before war and, and, um, uh, seam shifted wig. (laughs) And so I would ask him these, I'd ask him these questions and I was learning and I was, I really thought I had a feel for where both sides, you know, could come together, where both sides were wrong. You know, I I thought I had a feel for some things that a lot of people didn't really understand because I learned from the baseball people. And I also hopefully taught the baseball people some things. And so I was, was trying to get involved there. And my first, one of my first breaks was when Dan Duquette became general manager of the Red Sox. I was still covering the Pawtucket Red Sox then. And normally I would go up to baseball people and ask them, if, hey, do you need this? Can I do this for you? Can I do this for you? They're like, no, thanks, but no thanks. Get away from me. And so I, I approached Duquette when he was in Pawtucket. And I said, you know, uh, here's my background. I, I cover the team, you know, but I'd love to do some statistical research for you, whatever. And surprisingly, he said, okay. I was like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> wait, yes. <laughs> That's yes. Amazing. Yeah, no. And he said, and he said, okay. And I said, well, what, what are we talking about? And so he, um, at the time, and this was sort of funny, but he had, he had a, a researcher for him. One of the analytics guys was this guy, Mike Gimble, who was kind of like a, a Bill James wannabe and had his own prospect handbooks and, you know, studied the game, but he was a very unusual man. And so I, I met Gimble and Gimble said, he had me meet up with Gimble and he had, and Gimble, um, gave me some things he wanted to chart at Pawtucket. And, and at the time it was um, defensive zone ratings hmm. because again, at this time I was pitching myself because I was, I was telling people like they don't even keep platoon differential at, at AAA. They don't even wow. keep, yeah. they, they, you know, there was an incident where um, uh, Scott Cooper, the third baseman had just gone up for the to the Red Sox from Pawtucket. And then in, in an early game, they, they pinch hit from against lefty. He was a left-handed hitter. And so some writer called down to um, Pawtucket, the PR department and said like, Hey, how did Cooper hit against lefties? I'm like, we don't know. No one's keeping track of that. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Wow. And I 
I could tell them the home numbers because I, I went to every home game. I didn't cover the team on the road. And that's the kind of thing that I, I kept when I just um, was doing my keeping score of the game. So I was right. like, wow, I'm like the only person in the world that knows that, you know, which is stupid. The manager didn't know it, you know, no. And, That's incredible. No. And, and, and even I, I remember at the time it was, I think Lou Gorman was the GM. Then I even talked to him about that and said, this is crazy that you guys don't keep that. And he had a good answer. He said like, you know, we don't need to know that. Like we know if Cooper can hit lefties or not. And also, you know, we're not going to pinch for hit for him in Pawtucket. And I'm like trying to tell him like, well, it's still a good tool. It's still a good tool to show the player, like, look, you're hitting 174 yeah. against lefties. Right. You might want to step imagine it up. Imagine it's not. A, I understand the argument of, oh, they're in the minors. They're going to play because we need them to play regardless. But it's not necessarily for you. It's about the majors. They need to know these things if they're going to be bringing them up for a certain scenario. Yeah, there's there's a, a, a ton of good reasons why they should do that. And, and in fact, one of the things I was pitching myself as doing, which I'm sort of proud has become commonplace, is I would go to the another way to get a job is I'd go to the winter meetings. And a couple of years yeah. that I was living in Providence, Rhode Island, which is where I live now and where I was covering Pawtucket, they had them in Boston. So I would drive up and I'd try and talk to baseball people and I would go to the, the convention. And if anyone's ever, you know, gone to the winter meetings, one of the great things that happens there, it's not just baseball people meeting or uh, people that work in the game, but it's, it's like the people hawking stuff. And, and I went up to some display and it was about, it was, and again, it was, this is, you know, the late eighties, maybe early nineties. And, Somebody had this uh, software that was like, oh, you can chart a million things just on your laptop watching the game. And now at the time, three pitchers would sit there all charting for one team and one would keep track of this, one would keep track of that on a, right. on a score pad, on a, a, a clipboard. And I was like, I could do this, all this data on my laptop right away. And so I would go and pitch myself and say, like, let me, let me be the guy that does all these numbers and keeps all track of everything. Instead of having your pitchers do it, I can keep 20 times what they're keeping with the software. And again, clubs are like, forget it, forget it. Well, now, if you go to a minor league game, just about every team has a kid doing that, a guy, a young intern doing that. So anyway, uh, Gimbal said, can you keep some defensive zone ratings for me? Because it's information we just can't find anywhere else and would help us. And so, you know, we talked about the methodology and I did that. And I, I did that for a couple of years. Um, and it led to nothing. I was, mm-hmm. I was not getting paid and I was getting frustrated with Duquette, um, at the time. And I was like saying, like, look, you know, let me do more. Let me do more. Let me do more. And I think he just was like, no, I'm getting it for free. I'm not going to let you do more. Right. Right. And whatever. So that didn't lead to anything, but I think it helped me. And coincidentally, the, the very week that that came to a head, I used to go down to spring training every year on my own. Again, I was trying to be a go getter. And my, I was lucky my sister lived in outside Orlando. So I would drive down to spring training, usually with a friend or two who were writers. And we'd all like, you know, stay at my sister's and commute all over and go to the games and talk to baseball people. And so when I did that one year, I went down and I was like, I've got it. This is like second or third year of doing these research, this research for Duquette. I said, I'm going to talk to Duquette personally and, and say like, come on, let me do more. And I remember like being down in Fort Myers. And, and he was sort of blowing me off. Like I couldn't get a, a, you know, uh, in with him to talk to him. And I had a press pass and I was down in the dugout and there was Gimbel and Gimbel was doing an interview with Gordon Eads, the writer for the Boston Globe. And I, and I just like, I didn't interrupt them. I was just standing there waiting to t- listen, to talk to Mike and say, Hey, you know, remember me, it's Kimball. I do your stats. You know, maybe um, we could do more. Could you talk to Dan, tell him how valuable it is. But meantime, I'm hearing this interview and, and I'm hearing Gimbel 
say some outrageous stuff. And he's taking a lot of credit for the Red Sox success. And uh, I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> I'm a writer. I know what's going on. He shouldn't. But he was so excited. I think he was. it was his coming out party. He wanted credit for the Red Sox success. Mm-hmm. And maybe he, he was kind of an unknown commodity at the time. Sure, yeah. And sure enough, like a day or two later, came this big story by Gordon Eads, a great writer. And it, it kind of... It kind of was the end of Gimbel's career in a way oh, no. because he took way too much credit for things. And then, right. And then Duquette wasn't happy about that. And, and he was also an eccentric man. And there was a story about how he police had to come to his house once to take away some like uh, a lizard that was living in his bathtub in New York that was outside what? city ordinance. I know it's bizarre. It's bizarre. So anyway, all this happened and it was like, well, my Red Sox career is taking a, a nosedive. Right. But coincidentally, a day or two later, I had another baseball person I met up with over the years, Fred Clare, who again had sort of a, he had a, a public relations journalism background himself. He was the GM of the Dodgers at the time. And Fred, I had met maybe one spring training and he said, Oh, next time you're down in Vero, come see me, come, you know, say hi. So I said, okay. So I go into his office at Vero Beach expecting nothing. And Fred says, how would you like to do some part time scouting for me? And I was like, what? Wow. And he gave yeah. me a big break and he let me, go. he let me uh, do some scouting and write some reports. And it was all very rudimentary. I, I had to really learn. I was going again to try and speed up the process. Uh, he, the next year he gave me a chance to go to the scout school and major league bureau at the time used to have a scout school that, um, that you'd have to be sponsored by a major league club to attend. And it's a two week program down in, it was in Florida at the time. Um, in down in uh, uh, Lakeland, Florida, where the Tigers have spring training. And they bring in 35, 40 uh, prospective scouts, that two each from each club. And you would learn how to scout for two weeks and they'd evaluate you and they'd either say, hey, this guy can do it or this guy can't. And so the Dodgers sponsored me for that. I went to that um, and it worked out well. I got sponsored. I mean, I got, um, I, I got their seal of approval. And the next year, the next year I got two job offers. I mean, that's a simplified version, but that's kind of what happened. That's great though. And I will say I am a little disappointed that there Uh is no little book called Gimbal and Kimball. (laughs) That I think would do great. Uh, and, and if you ever had your own book, actually, you know, come to think of it, that's right. That will be a chapter. Should be Kim Ball, <laughs> as in like your version of baseball. But yeah, anyway, he so it a little differently. The, the BL. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. B-A-L, but but yeah. I, I guess my one question that I know you skipped over for brevity purposes, <laughs> but I do want to hear a little bit more about is, I mean, getting sponsored by a team. That seems like that is what the in is, right? You, you can't go to the scouting school. Or is it the same nowadays that you no. can't even go to the school in the first place unless you get sponsored? Right, right. They, you know, that you have to get a sponsor for the scout school at the time. And and I know there's now there's a couple of different schools. Um, I don't know if the Major League Scouting Bureau has its own school. Some clubs kind of run their own thing. Um, but I, I don't think the Major League Scouting Bureau scout school is the same as it was. Um, I don't think it's, it's run the same way. And I don't think it's the same deal where every club could sponsor a couple of guys and then they go and get their training. But, and that's just one way to get into it. I mean, some guys don't need that training. Some guys just, you know, be, with their contacts feel comfortable enough with them that they just say, Hey, we're going to hire you. Sure. And then, okay. Now I, just, I gotta, I gotta get a full <laughs> description of what the school is. 
Right. I mean, uh, how, what's the general age of everybody there? Are you right. guys going to desks or do you have someone like the throwing a ball up, you know, in front of a blackboard? All right. So believe me, I felt out of place because I was like, I don't even know if I'm cut out to be a scout. I'm not a scout. I didn't play the game. Sure. And really, I was just learning, believe it or not, what to look for over my 10 years as a writer with my hmm. interest in analytics. I don't think I saw the right things properly. And there were people that helped me. J.P. Ricciardi um, what, lived in Worcester at the time. He was working for the Oakland Athletics. So he was at McCoy almost as much as any scout. And he would say, come sit next to me. And, and I'd sit next to him and we'd, we'd pick each other's brain. And he helped me a lot. But I don't think J.P. realized how much I needed to see things, like about the way pitchers release the ball and their arm angle and their arm slot, their arm action, you know, just everything that a scout looks for, you know, um, he just maybe assumed I saw that already, or I don't know why. But anyway, you, you have to look for things like that. So I went to the scout school and I was like, oh my gosh, I, this, I don't even know if this is for me. And it was intimidating because at that very version of the scout school, I think among our 40 students were John Mazalock. He sat next to me. He's the Cardinals president <laughs> now. Um, he, he, and he was, he was, you know, fairly high up at the time. Like he was, he was almost like, I don't know why I'm even here, but, um, he was there. Uh, um, some other people were there, Jim Olander, who is a former, who was a player that I had just seen play like a, a bunch of games in the international oh, league, the former outfielder, major league outfielder, Greg Smith, the former infielder who played in the major leagues, who was traded for Jose Vizcaino. He and Olander are still scouts now. Scott Bream, Scott Bream was in my class. Scott Bream is very high up with the, I forget what his title is with the Detroit Tigers now, but. He's, he's been an assistant GM. He's done all sorts of things. He was in my class, another former player. And, you know, just Bruce Bochy's brother, Joe Bochy, <laughs> was there. So, so, Kimball, come on. Why aren't you the, the head of the Tigers now or whatever, right? I, I guess I'm not that good. No, no. Um, <laughs> well, you know, so I, I started way behind those guys. And I was a little bit in awe mm-hmm. of like, well, you know, because I knew who they were. I'd seen a lot of them play. Right. There, there were all these people there that, that, that you know, and had backgrounds way more into the game than I did. But I learned a lot. I learned from them. I learned from my instructors. And so basically to answer your question at the time, we were in, we were, it was during instructional league for the um, Detroit Tigers. So it's at their minor league complex, their complex down in Lakeland, Florida. We were literally in the same type of dorm rooms that they keep players in. And so I had a, a roommate. He was an Australian scout, um, Steve Gilmore. And people had roommates and all that stuff. And, and we would walk from the dorm to a, a conference room every day, a big conference hall. And they would sit in tables, 40 of us and the scouts would sit in front of us and they'd lecture and they'd show videos. And, um, and then we'd, we'd in the afternoon, we'd go and see a game. And a lot of times it was right there at the complex. We'd watch the very players we were living with in the dorm. I remember, um, uh, Jerry Harrison was there as a player and, and, uh, and we saw Lance Berkman play. He wasn't on the Ast- uh, the Tigers at the time, but he played in a game over there and, and all sorts of guys like, and so we went and watched instructional league games and we'd come back into the room and talk about what we saw. And they would say like, Hey, how would you grade out this guy's arm? How would you grade out this? How would you do that? And they taught us how to see the game, what to look for. And it, it, it went over two weeks. Um, I mean, I want to, I want to stop right there. Cause I 
personally have been so lucky to sit <laughs> next to you during a game or two. Uh, I mean, you know, like, you know, in uh, some minor league games or whatever. Uh, and just you, you asked me those exact questions. How would you grade this? How would you grade that and stuff? I still don't know if I passed or failed. Uh, you did but, uh, <laughs> No, seriously. Uh, but it was, I, I have to say, it's its such an enjoyable experience. I feel very lucky that I was able to, yeah, to essentially get a, a little glimpse of that school uh, while sitting next to you during those games. Well, no, you did great. And, and as you and I have talked about, um, your lens is different. Like my lens is right. almost stuck is stuck behind home plate. I've watched so many games, hundreds, sure. thousands of games now scouting behind home plate. That's where my eyes work. And I don't really watch video as well as I could or should. And especially that behind the home plate video, um, I mean, behind the picture video that you watch. And so we talked about that, you and I. And, and also, I think you're, you're really, you're a former pitcher. You're way more into the sequencing um, than I am. You know, and, and I guess part of that is I know like, well, the sequencing can change, you know, uh, sure, yeah, especially right. when I'm watching a minor leaguer, like, okay, we can teach him to use his breaking ball more See, or when to throw this There is pitch. one aspect of that, though. Um, I mean, you mentioned it before, the makeup of the player that yeah. isn't necessarily them good or bad. It's about how they handle themselves in a game. And oh, I no think I, I think a lot about uh, how they sequence an attack uh, is very much their mental makeup. Like. I remember watching um, during the uh, during the quarantine. We watched uh, Pedro Martinez, I believe, the 19 strikeout game. I think he had maybe it was a 20 even, uh, where he lost that game one nothing against the Yankees. Chili Davis hit a home run on a fastball on him. So what does Pedro do? Pretty much only give him fastballs the next time because he wanted to beat him with a fastball and show that he couldn't. You know, he, he's not worse than him. And yeah, what did he do? He struck out Chili Davis on a fastball. And it's that kind of stuff that sequencing is an expression, I think, of the pitcher and also how they execute the next ones. You know, everyone knows that, yeah, you have a curveball and you're good enough to not bounce it, but you're bouncing it right now. Or you let this fastball go up and away from a lefty and how you go through that process of execution or if you're able to to rebound properly or not and, and what you choose next and what kind of confidence you have. That says so much to me about that uh, that mental makeup that you're describing. So yeah, I there's so much about sequencing that's just fascinating to me. It's it's game theory, it's uh yeah, is are they a gamer, you know, do they have uh the Mad Max approach and stuff that we talk about with guts and all? It, 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 there's something to it. So yeah, I, I can't stop obsessing about sequencing. <laughs> no, I, I got that. That's good. <laughs> But uh but yeah I mean just uh really quickly I mean I do want to jump back to the school but I uh, can you talk a little bit more about um you know you mentioned uh you know what to look for with with arm action and I uh, is there some obviously there's no one size fits all we all know that but are there certain things that you see quickly that you say okay no this is not a good indication or you see that are oh this is a really good one Well all right so there's a couple of things one is, um, I remember one of my first mentors or teachers at scout school, and he said, the good ones do it easy. And that's always stuck with me, right? And the easier the guy can do something, the better. So there's a lot of guys now that can throw 98. Garrett Cole throws 98 with minimum effort <laughs> and, right. and, and what really good mechanics. There's other guys that are grunters, and he also said grunters and grinders don't make good ball players. 
And so when you're max effort throwing 98, well, you're probably not going to have the same command control feel as the guy mm-hmm. throwing easy. So that sticks with me. But because baseball is such a diverse game and there's so many different positions and different types and there's different ways to skin a cat, my particular motto, which is my own, and, and I've never run anybody who said, like, mine's the same thing or shares it. Most people are just like, whatever, when I say this. <laughs> but I say, can he do what he needs to do to be what he needs to be? Hmm. Okay. So that way I try and keep an open mind on players. So yeah, I look at a guy, a, a wispy 145 pound guy walks out to the mound and I'm already making my evaluation. I'm already saying like, whoa, I'm a little skeptical here. And then he gets out there and all of a sudden, you know, I see he's got this big kick and this weird delivery. And then what, what is this? And then I go, oh, 96 out of that wispy guy. Ooh. Oh, and that delivery is a little crazy, but oh, he's repeating it. Right. Oh, the reason he's repeating it is because that wispy guy is made out of rubber. He's so athletic. He's way more athletic than everybody on the field. Oh, this Tim Lincecum guy, maybe he's pretty good, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that can be part of your process, you know? Right. And so I try and keep that open mind about players, but sure. So much just, I tell people that it starts when you, they walk off the bus, you know, when you see them walk into the stadium, when you see them first on the field, and it's just like, you know, if you're playing pickup basketball, you get to the gym, you don't know anybody. You look at the guy, he's like, I think I'm going to take this hoss here over this guy. But now the hoss might disappoint you and the little guy might show you everything. But other factors have to come in. So mm-hmm. does that guy that's not as physically ch- uh, um, gifted as the other guy have the other things that he needs to do it? And I put the pieces together to come up with my answer. And I say like, okay, well, this guy, if he's going to be a center fielder, he's going to need to hit and he's going to need to run down balls. Can he do those things? Well, maybe he's not the quickest, but boy, he gets great reads, you know? And so, and there's a, you know, an opposite for everything I say, you know, this great athletic guy can run like the wind, but he can't judge a fly ball. So he doesn't get anywhere near the ball. You know, right. he's got, he's got great strength, but his swing is terrible and he can't recognize pitches. And that's the beauty of baseball. So you put them all together all these things you're looking for and you try and come up with the final answer for yourself. And we're often wrong. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, because we're grading humans and humans are often wrong when, you know, they portray themselves, right? That's yeah. the problem. We're not wrong. They're just human and change. No, <laughs> and they can I, change. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, one thing that really stuck out to me there, you're talking about, you know, Linscombe's big wind up and everything. And uh, I've certainly assess people saying okay if it's too violent and then it's too you know it's not repeatable but then there's another side of it of it doesn't really matter i mean there's certain points there's like roadmaps to a delivery where you need to get to certain moments and be entwined with you know your your timing with your your bottom half and your top half and everything and you can do whatever you want (laughs) before then and that doesn't need to actually be the same exactly but as long as the, that moment, you hit that roadmap, you know, you hit the, the exact point correctly every time, then it's okay. And I've certainly tried to focus more on that, um, as I move forward. Cause I see some guys come up to the majors and you're right. They're, they're grunters and they, they all of a sudden they're calm and all of a sudden it's chaos for like two seconds and just go, how did that come out of his hand? You know, but if you slow it down, you say, okay, every single time he's gained this exact point, foot's down. You know, the, the shoulders are still back before the the hips open up and the arm is up and everything like that. And he's always getting to that. Say, all right, you know what? Maybe the chaos is good. Maybe that's actually what he needs to do to do what he needs to do, right? Right. No, exactly. And and 
like, you know, deception could be a part of that. Like a guy might not be that good because his deception's weird, but it's deceptive and, and he gains an advantage from that. But I guess, you know, you're exactly right. And you know, mechanics way better than I do, but I guess, Oh, when you say, no, Kim, no, come on. It, no, you're a former pitcher. I'm no so former what? pitcher. I no, had terrible anyway. mechanics, Kimball. No, okay. But you, you <laughs> anyway, trust me. But what I do look for, and it's funny because going back to scout school where I had to look, you know, I just watched generally. Like when I was covering a game, I'd see a guy walk out there and it was just a very general focus. Well, I had to train my eyes to look for certain things. And, and they, one thing is you start doing is breaking the body down. And so now kind of when I try and tell people how to scout, I say, well, see their body as they walk out there. You're seeing their athleticism. You see how they move, how big and strong they are. And then as soon as they throw a ball, my eye almost automatically, first thing it goes to is just their arm swing and how their arm works. And it didn't used to do that, <laughs> right? And, uh, yeah. and it just does it automatically now. And I think, again, I would have, if someone told me like how many varieties there were of how people can throw a ball, I never believed them because I thought I'd seen a million pitchers pitch in Pawtucket, but until late in my writing career, I didn't realize how differently that ball comes out of their hand and the way their arm works. And so I look at how their arm works and then I put that with the rest of the delivery. And so the same way with you, I'm saying is their arm and their body are their arm and their body in sync, right? You know, do they work together? And, and that's a huge part of, of what I look for. And so they could be doing all sorts of things, but if, their arm and body are at the same time, you know, are working in sync, then they've got a chance. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it, it's also interesting. It's really hard, uh, especially there behind home plate in home. It takes me a little bit to get orient, uh, get orientated where I'm not just looking at the result of the pitch. Uh, right. I'm like, okay, no, in this one, I'm going to look at the landing foot and see the follow through on this one. I'm going to focus more on the arm circle coming back or, I, uh, what are there a certain, is there a certain process that you have? Of, oh, absolutely. Hey, I'm going to watch this one. Then the next one is this. Well, I think it's, it's just that, you know, the beautiful thing about scouting and the way the game works is you get in these habits. And, and as I said, I watch the guy walk out. Now I'm evaluating him as an athlete, just how he moves, how he jogs, how he, sure. how he runs his physicality. Now I watch him take his warm up tosses. And that's the beauty during the warm up tosses. That's when I'm doing most of my mechanical breakdown, mm. you know, and because I'm seeing how that arm works. Now, some guys deceive you. I've seen so many young minor league players. They warm up effortlessly. And then the first pitch of the game, yeah, they chuck it is. and the mechanics yeah. are way different. But you're, you're kind of watching that stuff first. And then so when they start facing batters, you're kind of watching the result, what the ball does. But you're, you're also always seeing, because you've watched closely his mechanics to start, you kind of can see early on where he's, gravitating even if you're mostly focusing on the pitch and you're, you're also scouting the hitter you're scouting the fielders oh right i know but again this is how you chain train your eye like i sit yeah. there with my girlfriend who likes to go to baseball games and i'll say like okay now watch the pitch and i know i know she's not seeing things the way my eyes see them right you know i'm so like didn't you see that was a curveball and she's like i was watching the hitter you know i was watching yeah. this and you know i don't even know how we do it sometimes but i think it's just experience and training and and believe me I, I, some, I want to sit with scouts when scouts point out something that I don't look for enough. I know there's things like one thing I, I don't really, I don't watch enough is, is what, what their arm does post release of the ball. I'm really kind of too obsessed with what they do before they release the ball. And mm -hmm. I kind of, I, I don't often get a good read on, on 
what happens to them after or, or even on release. Right. And so like, that's a point that's like, okay, focus, focus on that. You know, I mean, we're always learning that again, it's such a great game that we can always learn. Yeah. The, the, the worst part absolutely of the, uh, the, my reference point, which is just behind the picture. Cause I mean, that's just how much I've watched endlessly. Um, the one thing I often say that I'm really upset I don't get is the side view of it. Right. Um, you don't really get to see the extension and how the arm circle plays. You can get a good sense of it, but it, it's not quite the same knowing when the, the pitcher is starting his lean and approach towards home. Cause some guys just stay right in the mound, go up, down and out like Kershaw or some guys really like Josiah Gray bends that back leg. Um, and goes forward and I would love to see it more just from the side. Um, to get, that's why we got to get you out of the ballpark where you can, you're allowed to move to the side. (laughs) If if it's quiet enough, if it's, if it's, if it's not city field, if it's, uh, right. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, you don't have that as well as ideally, but I mean, it's still better. You can really start to see and get a better feel for it than the compressed zoom in of the, uh, of the MLB camera. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. There's so many elements to, to pick up on it. Um, so going back now to, to, to in school here, right? We, you've got your, your graduation cap eventually. Um, I, <laughs> uh, so, so I mean, you, you were saying that you essentially go to the fields and then you come back and you, you just say, Hey, this is what I thought about it. What other, I guess, programs were a part of this? You know, it was pretty rudimentary when I was there and, and I had been to, I, a, a great education prior to that. So I was used to like really intense programs, whatever. And it was like, wait, we can ramp this up a little bit more. What the one thing they didn't do, I, I wish they had done. And, and maybe this is just me. I'm a math guy. I'm a linear thinker. I want A to Z. I don't want to skip steps. So we might see a guy that, you know, um, had a little hook you know, in his arm action. And then we talk about it, but I would have preferred if they sort of tried to do it and, and every, you know, the players are so different, but if they try to say like, Hey, there's nine different types of things guys can do, or yeah, right, here's some right. examples of this and, and, and just, and, or even here's a checklist of what you should look for. It was more random. Like we'd come back and they say like, Hey, did you notice that one guy was doing this? Now, if we never saw a guy that did that, we might never talk about it. You know, and fortunately, you know, like you saw two weeks of baseball, so you saw a lot of things. But again, a lot of the, you know, the O-landers and the Bochies were way ahead of me. Like, yeah, 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 we know what we're talking about. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? And, <laughs> and so I really had to learn. And I, I honestly, it was just, it was just the beginning. I mean, I learned, I was lucky enough to get hired and I learned enough. I lo- I'm still learning. I learned as I went, you know, and I really, you know, started picking up some things. I used to sit with a lot of hitters during BP and say, tell me what to look for. Tell me what to look for. I'm not getting enough out of this. And, and, and hitters, <laughs> really good hitting guys will almost go too far and they start telling me all this stuff. I'm like, no, no, simplify it for me. Tell me, pretend I don't know anything. Right. Right. And so we're always learning, but yeah, we just learned some basics and a lot of it was learning how to write a report and the kind of things that, um, you know, the way to, the way to present your information uh, to a GM, which, which was valuable. And, um, it was funny because one little funny moment was, you know, I was a journalism major in school. That's how I became a writer. <laughs> and, and, uh, I, I thought it was so funny in scout school. They literally handed us a piece of, um, a piece of paper with cliches on it. And they said, like, you know, if you're struggling to find out ways to describe things, right, yeah. here's some way, like, here's one. <laughs> if someone's doing something really smooth, right? Pretty as a ballet. And I was just like, 
that's what you're not supposed to do, isn't it? <laughs> like not not just fall back on cliches right, and buzzwords. Right, because that just generalizes it as opposed to actually being specific <laughs> on the thing you're supposed to talk about. Right, yeah. right. That, that's amazing. I mean, that makes sense. You know, a lot of these people are not coming in with your background, of course, and they are struggling to express themselves properly. No, exactly. Uh, that's hilarious. Do you remember... Um, I, I, I'm sure you don't, but I can't help but think there must have been one report that you were like, oh, I had the perfect description for this guy. I nailed this. Well, one thing, I don't know about that, but I know we did see um, Lance Berkman there, mm-hmm. and we did see, um, I think his name was Zap. Was it AJ Zap? Not sure. J.A. Hap, but AJ Zap. It was, <laughs> he, well, anyway, Berkman and Zap were both hitters who were high draft picks like the year before for different clubs. And they were very similar. They were like, you know, not very athletic, but they were drafted off their hit tool, whatever. And I remember I wrote up really similar major league evaluations of them. Well, Lance Berkman went on to have pretty much a Hall of Fame career. I can't even remember the name of Zap or whatever his name was. So I don't think too many other people did. I don't know if he got very high. But it just shows you, you know, the small man, you know, like how, how much we can be wrong. And, you know, yeah. I can be really proud of my Berkman report, but then it's like, well, what about of course. my similar right, report right, right. So no, and, and, and I really, I wouldn't trust looking back, like, you know, I didn't realize how much I didn't know at the time, you know, I mean, and, and I, I've learned so much over the years that like, I'm still amazed that I was even hired because I was like, I don't think I knew what I was looking for early on. And, and sure. And I was just glad, you know, I think, and I think, I think that that happens, you know, we do that in other professions, you know, someone saw that I had a curiosity, a thirst for knowledge, and they said, he might not know it now, but I'll hire him and he'll learn and he'll get to learn on the job and, and, you know, we'll, we'll teach him. And so, you know, I, I think that happens. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PO Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show I uh, so so here you are. You graduated. You, you made <laughs> yeah. it from scout school. Ta-da! So does this mean that because you were mentioning that the the, the Blue Jays had sponsored you, now you're going off and helping the, the Dodgers had sponsored the me. Dodgers. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. So and now so, you become a Dodger scout. So well, no, no, it wasn't that simple. I wish. I wish. All right. So a couple of things happened. One is I wasn't sure how I was doing at the school, and mm. this is a silly story, but I think your podcast might appreciate this. So I have a a large acting background. I, I, um, at this time I was writing and, 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 you know, pursuing baseball. I wasn't doing a lot with acting. I was still doing, um, this improv theater group performing in Providence twice a week for them. So at some point in this two week process, these guys used to like to make fun of us and they do the, to break the ice every morning. They would do a sketch 
the teachers I'm talking about, they do some sketch. One time they did like, I think it was like Karnak or something. They would do different things and make fun of us. And so they announced your line, but don't worry. At the end of the two weeks, you'll get to write your own sketch and make fun of us. And I was like, you have no idea who you're messing with. You don't know who you're messing (laughs) with. So over the two weeks, I had tons of great material and I wrote this sketch and, and Olander was in it and Scott Bream was in it. And, um, a couple other guys from the school were in it. Um, Bochy, I think Bochy had a small role. Anyway, and basically I played the the head of the scout school, who was this legend at the time, Don Prees. He was a legendary GM for the Baltimore Orioles in those 60s and early 70s years, those great Orioles team. Anyway, and he was old and he had a lot of um, idiosyncratic behavior to him. And so I did this dead-on imitation of him <laughs> um, and took a risk because I thought I could piss this guy off, but I guess he had a sense of humor. Anyway, the sketch went over so well that they said, we're going to videotape that sketch and show it every year at the scout oh school. Oh my God, that's amazing. So, so for years, they showed the sketch and people come in and say, like, how do I know you? I'm like, did you go to scout school? You probably saw the video. So I was well known for that. And I was like, well... I'd rather be known for my scouting. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and after that video of scouts, the guys, teachers started coming up to me and, and uh, after we did the sketch and all of a sudden they're paying attention to me and, and saying like, you know, um, that, you know, I'm doing a good job there. And I was like, before I did that sketch, you didn't think anything of me. And one guy actually was like, Hey, my brother's a producer out in Hollywood. You know, you're really talented. I'm like, no, no, I'm trying, no, no, I'm to, be, trying to be a scout. <laughs> I'm to be a I want scout. to be a scout. So, so it wasn't like I came out of there guns blazing. Right. Um, and in fact, I didn't get hired. The school was in the fall. I didn't get hired um, for a job, but I was coming back with the Dodgers. So I, so Fred Claire was like, okay, do the same thing you did the year before. Well, unfortunately, mid season that year, Fred Claire got fired. And oh, no. you're learning the lessons of baseball and you're like, Fred Claire was my contact. I mean, I worked right, for him. Right. He, he paid me out of some like discretionary fund that he had. I wasn't on the payroll. No one else in the Dodgers really knew who I was. Oh, no. I thought I'm screwed. And, and so I, I thought my career's over before it even really starts. But luckily by then I had a couple other good contacts. And, um, and so that fall I went to the winter meetings again. And this time I think I was invited, if I remember correctly, I was invited to go interview with the Padres, you know, uh, coincidentally. Um, and I also had, um, talked a lot to the Astros because of contacts I had with both clubs. And, and, um, and so that fall I got offered a job, full time scouting job by both the Padres and the Astros, um, and had to make a decision. And, uh, both were scouting minor leagues. And I went with the Astros. I felt a little bit more comfortable with their offer. Also, I wouldn't have to relocate for that one. I was still living in Providence. It was to scout the Eastern League. And only the next year did I realize that the Padres offer was not quite set in stone, that the guy that made that offer really didn't have the authority to do that. And I was thinking, imagine if my dream had come true and I thought I had a job and I turned down the Astros and took the Padres and oh some point God, a month or yeah. two later found out, no, just kidding. You don't have a job. I would have been devastated. But anyway... I got a full-time job offer from the Astros. I worked for them for five years. Then I joined J.P. Ricciardi uh, with the Blue Jays, and I spent 15 right. years with them. And then I moved to the Padres three years ago. Wow. Amazing. I mean, it, it's... Scary. <laughs> it, it, it absolutely is. And I mean, uh, going back to kind of just reports and like what it's like just being a scout on on the move now. now you finally made it, but... 
Um, you know, is it just constant travel? Is it every single, you know, you look at your entire season, you say, okay, this is my, this is where they're going to want me to go. But then again, trade deadline comes around and say, nope, you got to go and watch this guy over here. You know, what is that like? Well, every team does it a little differently, every organization, but most teams assign their pro scouts and I'm a pro scout. I don't see high school players. I don't see college players. Um, and there's other guys that do that. And so a lot of us are just pro scouts. We're seeing minor leaguers and major leaguers. And usually they do it by org and they say, okay, Kimball, you have the Marlins, the Nats and the Astros. Sure. And you're responsible for, you know, their high, their low A team, their high A team, the double A team, the triple A team and, and their major league team. And so that's 15 clubs. You better be on top of all those clubs, make out your schedule, run it by us and then just go. And so that's usually what they do. And so you plot out your schedule and you say like, all right, I'm not going to start the year in Wisconsin seeing Beloit, you know, when it's April 1st, I'm going to start right, out right. down in Florida and see, you know, whoever, Jupiter. Yeah, you're a smart scout, yeah. <laughs> well, so essentially no have, teams have, what you're telling me is that no teams have any reports on any cold weather teams it, it happens. this season. It happens. It's only the hot ones. That's no, funny. it happens. There's scouts that say like, I, you know, we said, where are you starting? It's like, I'm starting out and, you know, Beloit. I'm like, why? Like, just the way my schedule worked out and they wanted me to see that club first. I'm like, sorry. But yeah. no, we, so we make out a schedule and they approve it. And yeah, we just make sure we see a good dose of every of our clubs. So we're up on them by the time it's mid season or so. And so usually that's kind of a grind, you know, and you're on the road probably three or three, 22 days a month, say, you know, um, you know, so you do have some free time. And sometimes you go away for three days and come back for one. Sometimes you wait for 14 days, come back for three. But basically you're trying to see, uh, every starter on all your clubs. So you see them for five or six days and then you get a good feel for them and you write up every player. And that's a common question for most scouts. It's like, well, who are you here to see? And like, I'm here to see every player. Um, and you write up all the players and the teams you're responsible for it. And yes, then the trade deadline comes around. They might say, all right, go jump around, see these target guys, see this specific guy and, um, all that. But usually we're there to see everybody. And, and when those reports, I. Uh you know, it's someone listening. We don't really know what it is. Is it just kind of uh, just a paragraph that you fill out, write some things? Are there yeah, some it's, boxes it's usually, you're ticking? No, it's it's both. It, there's a lot of drop down boxes. I mean, you're usually grading them out on the basic tools, you know, mm-hmm. um, hit, run, throw, field, hit for power. Um, and so you you write them, you, you write them out on the basic tools. And for pitcher, you grade out their pitches and you grade out their delivery. And you, you check off all those boxes. And then you, in your summation you you basically summarize what you put in those boxes and and explain why you think that way and more details about it and eventually you give a summation of what what you think he's going to be right you know and and we all know there's lots of variables in this and it could be lots of things but you basically say like hey this guy's gonna be an all-star everyday center fielder for a lot of years or this guy you know is is a guy that might be able to help as an up and down player or in a role this is a situational lefty. You know, this is an ace to be and everything in between. This guy's never going to get above double A, you know, and you just, you put your, you know, nuts on the line and you say what you think they are in the end. And that's what, that's what the GM wants to know is, yeah, what, is what is he? What is I he? I remember this so much, uh, talking to you and you're like, don't you want to be a scout, Nick? I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, but no, don't you want to like do it at the ultimate level of really putting on the line? I'm like, Yes, but no, <laughs> I, I, because I mean, I don't know. I, I, I say a lot with, with pitcher lists. Like, obviously I'm trying to be as correct as I can, but, 
um, you know, we're in the business of good discussion, not being right. Cause you, it's, it's just such a anxiety inducing thing being right. And you're never, but you are scouting. Right. You're, you're recommending, you're saying like, right, no, right. get no, this but, guy. Don't go after this guy. Yeah, yeah. The, the conversation we had was very much like, you want to get into scouting and like, and I'm like <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, but yes, but no. Um, one thing I did want to ask just cause it's a, a fun thing. Cause I'm sure this has happened to you and please only retired players. Cause obviously I don't want to hear any of your reports. I don't want the, everyone to hear the inside information of how you feel about players currently playing, of course. Uh, but who was a guy that was going up that you're like, this is, this is an all-star 100% ace, all that stuff who just didn't pan out. Right, let me think about that for a second. Like the, um, like the like the the one that's just like I don't understand how Billy Bean didn't do it. He was he was made to be, and it just didn't work. Well, uh, it, th- there's players that you fall in love with, and you right. still just like go, what what happened? What happened? And um, one guy I remember loving was uh, Larry Bigby. <laughs> of course, I, I, everyone knows Larry Bigby. Oh, uh, I just I just <laughs> thought Larry Bigby was going to be so good. You know, I, I just I just really believed and. You know, we learn certain things and, um, and you try and figure out why I was wrong. And sometimes there's, there's no answer, but right. I think, um, it was funny because with Larry Bigby, uh, I thought, saw this rangy body that I was going to, and I, I thought, you know, I know he's a little old for his level, but I think it's the body that's going to age well. He's going to get stronger. And I think the, the lesson I might have learned there was the Ken Griffey lesson of, you know, you need a big backyard to go yard. He really didn't have that big rear end and, and that much strength in his frame. And at least that's how I'm rationalizing it. Gotcha. I, I did today. not understand the phrase until you mentioned, okay, now I get the, the big backyard to go. Yeah. Yard. Okay. I was yeah. like, I don't know. Like it, it would help to have shorter fences. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. But, I, but I believe me, now. there's so many, like I can look back on so many guys that I, I feel like I was right and wrong about. And then, you know, there's disappointments. Um, I just, I remember when I saw Jose Reyes, I thought he was the best player by far I'd ever seen. He had all the tools and I was always a little disappointed that Jose didn't really, really top out, you know? Well, I I mean, I was just also disappointed in his character ultimately. Well, right. Uh, And that, and that might be the answer. And that's, you know, the, the first weekend I saw him, the tools jumped out at me. Like, it was just like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And you can't really yeah. see those things that, that might have held them back due to the work ethic or the ability to make adjustments sure. among just the, the, the more baseball character aspects. Right, right. Um, and I, uh, so your process of, I have a scouting report. Uh, I'm trying to think of this come like trade deadline time. Uh, all right. We are considering, you know, g- taking a deal from the Astros or the Rangers or whatever it is. I, how involved do you get with talking to the people, the organizations, uh, to actually, you know, is it just you submitting a document? Is it all these Skype calls? Is it like in Moneyball where everybody just gets into a room? Well, uh, it's not like in Moneyball because, you know, for the amateur draft, like in Moneyball, they have the time and the process to get into the room because you have, you know, you've seen players for months and the amateurs all come in and they have to discuss the thousands of players and put them in a list and it helps have everyone in the room, but not everyone even does that anymore. But for pros, you know, it's ever evolving. And other than the trade deadline, you know, things could happen anytime. There's not one draft day that we're all right. looking at. Yeah. So, so it's not like that, but, and then it's different for different clubs. Like luckily I'm with the Padres and I have a GM 
that he, in fact, he called me today and ran a couple of deals, possible deals by me. And, and that's just because AJ Preller is the kind of guy, um, he loves to solicit information. He does not want just yes, men. He, he, he right, definitely right. believe me. <laughs> we argue all the time and I've heard him argue with lots of people all the time. And he, he loves, he wants dissent. He, and so he wants to get your opinion. And so he will call me, even if it's not guys in my organization, my coverage, you know, and he'll say like, Hey, what do you think of this deal? What do you think of that deal? What do right. you think of that deal? And, and so luckily I'm, I'm with the guy that, that does that. Some, some clubs you barely speak to your bosses, your GMs, but we're, we're pretty good about that. And, but even if you don't, I mean, that's the process. Like they have your report, they know what you think. And, and I like to tell people that it's like, you know, we're, we're real estate appraisers. You know, um, my company's trying to acquire these commodities. And I'm the guy that's responsible for evaluating these commodities out here. And I put my number on them and I put like, a, you know, a literal grade, a number on them. And then it's up to them to make the choice of whether they think they're a good acquisition or not. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I've pounded the table for a guy and we haven't done it. And sometimes I've said, please don't, please don't. <laughs> and we've done it and everything in between. Sure. And uh, I guess the last question I have for you is um, if someone were thinking, all right, I want to do this today. I feel I have, you know, I have some eye for it. I have the passion for baseball. I have, certainly have some experience going to games and watching stuff. I, what is your biggest suggestion for people just getting into it now? All right. So wait a second. First of all, yeah. um, going to wait, Nick, Nick Pollock and friends. You asked other people about their dog. <laughs> you, you asked them about their childhood, this their hobbies, but, but, their but, hobbies. If I, I we, we can do all of that too, Kimball. But I think <laughs> what I what I the reason I do Nick Pollock and Friends is because I want to I want to bring on people with interesting perspectives of of lives and everything. And sometimes people come on and people know them as one thing, and there isn't really much more to share about that. And I want to expose the the person on the underbelly of it, just saying, hey, like they are people that know these other things too. Um, the other side of this is I love bring on people who have this amazing craft that they, you know, that I find fascinating and enjoy. I brought on my friend Lauren, uh, who talked about the process of creating a, a wedding ring business. Um, yeah. and that, you know, didn't go too far into all of, all of her <laughs> hobbies and her dog and everything like that. A wonderful dog, by the way. But, uh, so for you, Kimball, I felt, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think this is such an fascinating area that we don't talk about often. And if I was going to go into one thing, maybe I'll have to come, bring you back to talk about your favorite movie which is of course contact it's contact really yeah i, I thought that was a great movie I, it's not at all what i expected i mean maybe What'd you I, expect? What'd you expect? I don't know i have no idea just i've not heard anyone say contact before so yeah it's a little bit of a different movie. answer um yeah i mean the 18 minutes of blank footage at the end you know, it's, just... <laughs> it's a it's an unsung movie misunderstood movie i love that movie all right uh and i'm allergic to pets so, so, oh, are you? So, yeah. so I can't even talk about your dog. No, you don't even I have don't. one. No, I've, I've my Kimble. my family's had pets and they, they've made me suffer. But I, <laughs> so all right. So I'll answer your question. I'm so sorry for you. Because dogs my, are my, wonderful. Mine was more rhetorical, but like, why don't I get to talk about the other stuff? But um, no, <laughs> I uh, I kind of said it earlier. I really and I've I've done this with a lot of people. I've I've been lucky enough to help different people get involved in the game, which has been fun and 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 an easy choice when you see someone is as I know offering and and is good. 
So I tell people again to get around the game, find a way to get around the game. And, and whether that's being like a lot of people now with the internet there, you can go out and, you know, before my scouting reports, no one's going to see them when I'm writing them in the Attleboro Sun Chronicle in Massachusetts <laughs> and I'm evaluating players as a writer. But now with the internet, you know, everybody with the blog and, and, right. and uh, with, you know, the Twitter feed can write evaluations. And there's people in baseball that have gone very far from starting that way, way higher than I've uh, gotten. And whatever you do, just get around the game, get around the game, see if you want to be a part of it, see if you can learn from these people, see if you're saying to teach them. And, and really it's that, whether it's as a writer or a a guy that's going to tweet stuff, someone that's writing your own scouting reports, again, whether it's trying to um, get there and work in a minor league ballpark as a vendor so you at least can talk to people and 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 say things and share opinions because especially you don't go to enough minor league games but you go there early like you might end up talking to the manager you might end up talking to the the top prospect in baseball because they're just standing around at three thirty bored and yeah. they're like hey what's up today and she's like hey well, tell me could you mind tell me like why you um you know uh you know went to that pitch instead of that pitch late you know in that game and why you did that or why you did yeah dingus. And, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you don't say that. But yeah, yeah, you get in a good conversation, and and I, I swear, like that's um, you know, as as someone that was an outsider is now an insider, I really I wish more um people that are commenting on the game and all that would be around the people and see just how much knowledge and thought goes into a lot of what they do. Um, but that said, I I also. One of the reasons we met it, we met at that um, fantasy symposium where I like to, where I, they have me come and speak every year. And one of the reasons I like to go to that and listen is because they're not talking fantasy; they're talking baseball, and right. they're talking they're they're talking deep level stuff that impresses me. Like your presentation, that's why I went up and talked to you. I loved your presentation a few years ago. I was like, "Whoa, this guy knows a lot about well, pitching. He can it, tell me some funny. things." That one was um, I called it the bridge because exactly what you were talking about. You know, the melding of the analytics and, and scouting. I felt a lot of fantasy has been just numbers and spreadsheets and which is understandable. Um, and I felt I had a little bit of a different eye of, Hey, let's actually watch a guy and understand this. I think that example, it was supposed to be a CSW presentation, which it was. I said, Hey, cool. CSW exists. Wonderful. We got past it. There's not much more to say. It's this simple formula and it's great. Um, I think I spent about 60% of it just watching Dylan Cease. <laughs> it's just like, this is what Dylan Cease is like. And let's just look at him and assess like how he attacked this batter. And is this, uh, you know, at the time, did we feel good about this? Um, and the conclusion was no, because this is, this is not a man in control. This is a man who has good stuff, but this isn't a repeatable thing. Um, and that's the, the importance of it. The result was one thing, but the takeaway by watching it was a completely different one and being able to use both aspects of that. So, I mean, that, that sounds so much to me like, yeah, I'm not surprised that you talked to me after because that's everything that you've been describing. No, good point. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, but all right, Kimball, I guess I got to bring you back another time because I, I want to hear all about why contact is amazing. <laughs> what your life is like allergic to pets. Cause that just sounds terrible. It can be rough. Yeah. You know? But, uh, but Kimball, I can't thank you enough for being here today. And if someone wanted to contact you anyway, what was the best way publicly, um, that people can find you? My email, akcrossley at aol.com. Definitely. If you guys have more questions for Kimball, definitely uh, right. reach out. 
to Kimball. Wonderful guy. I cannot thank you enough for all the years. Yeah. Since I've met you, it's been just been wonderful. I uh, you know, chatting about players. I remember you text me about one random guy or something and be like, you don't like this guy. Why not? And then, you know, going back and forth and stuff. It's, it's always been a blast and uh, I can't thank you enough for being here. All right. So that's going to do it for this episode of Nick Pollock and friends. And my name is Nick Pollock and that was my friend, Kimball Crossley. <laughs>